Here we go. Hey there, folks. This is your host, Cameron Ivey of Privacy Please, and thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. Tell your friends about it if you like it. If you don't, let's just pretend you didn't listen to it. Thanks again for coming in, and we hope you enjoy the show. All right, on. How you doing, man? It's good to see you. I'm well. How are you? I'm good, man. It's another week. It's a Tuesday for us right now. Not sure when we're going to release this, probably in a week or so, but hope everybody's doing great. Um, We got another another guest for us coming in, but um, always good to see you. Well, Halloween special. It's good to see you, too. um, We don't get to connect as much outside of the show sometimes as we'd like to. Listeners don't really know that, Um, but uh, it is is good to see you. Mm -hmm. We have a special guest today. We I'm do. excited about this one too. I'm excited mm-hmm. about this one too. We, um, we've. I'm, I'm going to let him introduce himself, but he is the co-founder of of Tailscale, and and I'll just kind of leave it at that. For those that are unfamiliar with Tailscale, it is a VPN solution, and we are, of course, very privacy and security focused. And Tailscale is, uh, well, let's let's bring our guest in. Let's yeah, let's let him. Let's bring our guest in. Yeah, let's do it. There Hello. he is. There he is, Mr. Crane. Ready. He is ready. He's ready. Am I ready? I'm not sure I'm ready. <laughs> I am here though. That's uh That is that is the only requirement for being ready. Oh, <laughs> that's true. I'm present. That's there you that's go. That's it. That's it. How are you? I'm doing well. Some happy Halloween. Yeah, happy, happy Halloween. Halloween. That's right. It's happy uh Halloween. just finished my kids' costume just in time last what? night. Nice. What what are they? Uh, he's going as a Jawa. So I just yeah, shoulder up some LED eyes <laughs> under a hood. It's, uh, it's not fair when you've got a dad that knows how to solder. It's just you're you cheating. Know, you're cheating. You know what? It was actually my wife who did the soldering. It's a uh, yeah. double cheating. Double yeah, cheating. I know. Okay. It's it's uh it's much better. My my soldering work is not very good. Mine it's, is uh, sloppy and bad, and it has and it's been that way since the late nineties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I get uh I get the circuit to connect, and I figure I'm just about done. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're not putting it in production unless you call my home network production. Yeah, it's a it's a startup, right? It's a minimum viable product. That's, that's so. exactly yes. right. That's yep. exactly right. Look, speaking of home networks, we should we should introduce you to our listeners. Um, yeah. I'm a fan. I'm a bit of a fanboy. I love the technology platform. I love the product. I was I was mentioning the camera, and I've actually been re-architecting my entire home network. And uh, and your solution is an integral part of that. I. Uh, Oh wow! Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I use, I use, I use traffic as a reverse proxy, and I have mm-hmm. everyone come in via your solution, and then they get to all of the internal services. So my family's lucky; they don't get sold at things. They they will just get they'll they'll, they'll get a fancy home network system. <laughs> that's the way to do it. So. But to that end, David, if you would, for our guest, tell us about yourself. Sure. Uh, so my name is David Crawshaw. I'm a co-founder and CTO of Tailscale, a network security company. Uh, we build uh, an overlay network, zero trust product that lets you connect all of your devices together. 
and there's a couple of interesting novel technical elements to it that I really enjoy. Uh, in particular, uh, our focus on direct connections between devices. So you install Tailscale on two devices, and they get IP addresses uh, that the, and domain names that they can use to talk to each other. Uh, and almost always, they can make direct connections between each other uh, and send packets between each other without using relay servers. And this is a little bit unusual in the space of VPNs, overlay networks, zero trust systems, which tend to uh, have some intermediary in all the traffic. Uh, and so I've spent the last four and a half years or so working on that. Uh, and that's, uh, that occupies most of my time. Before that, uh, I've been programming for a very long time. You know, I, I worked at Google on a variety of projects. I was on the Go language team. Uh, I worked on the future operating system. I worked in search. Uh, I've done a, done a few things. Just a few, just a few. You're just going to casually throw working on the Golang team out there like to another <laughs> fan. I'm another big fan, um, huge fan of, of, uh, of, of that framework and language. Um, why Tailscale? Why? Like, there's no shortage of VPN networks. We are a, mm -hmm. a, we are a security and privacy podcast. And so VPNs literally sit at the intersection of that, right? Like you guys are mm -hmm. the, the beating heart of, of what's at the intersection of privacy and security. But why do we need another one? Yeah, the it's really interesting. Uh, my co-founders and I went out to start a company, uh, and we very much went out with the notion that there wasn't anywhere we could go and work that was going to build the sort of software we wanted to build uh, from a very sort of high-level principles perspective. Or we like to write good software that people use, uh, and there wasn't Stop a it. yeah. There, I know it's it's not. It doesn't sound like much as well, a requirement. It takes you off to Microsoft. Uh, oh, shots oh. fired, shots fired. I'm you, kidding, you can, I'm you can find good software that people use hiding in every major tech company uh, and all over the place. Fake facts. Uh, that doesn't mean it's easy to find a role doing it that uh, you, you want to be working on. And that was the state I think all three of us were in at that mm -hmm. point. Uh, and so we said, let's start a startup. Uh, and we didn't actually have the product in mind when we started the startup. We had... Uh, the set of skills we'd work, we developed uh, over our careers. Uh, we had, uh, we knew some people who had businesses who had problems, uh, because every business has problems. Uh, opportunities, I think you meant to call them. Uh, lots of opportunities out there. Uh, and uh, uh, we said, let's just explore the space and find things we could work on. Uh, and what we ran into was a problem that. Uh, the typical solution for was uh, some sort of virtual desktop system for a, a series of uh, adding two factors to some very old software. Uh, and uh, uh, no one enjoys using virtual des desktop systems. Uh, so we went looking for other solutions and we thought, well, if there was a, a nice overlay network here uh, that had good two factor integration and good control of identity, we could use that instead. Uh, and so we went looking for the product to to do uh, to solve this problem with this company because we were treating our roles very much as consultants until we found something we needed, uh, something we needed to build ourselves. Uh, and so we explored the space of VPNs and the nascent zero trust world that existed four and a half years ago. The word existed. Not many people were using it. Uh, it's something we actually spent a bit of time struggling with, like, what does this even mean? Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we didn't find a product that solved these problems. And so we went and built one. And so it was very much faced with a particular problem of how do we uh, get users on this network to regularly use two-factor to access uh, uh, the overlay network uh, in a way where we can verify who the users are. Uh, we couldn't find a product that fit those needs. 
uh, and that's why we had to go and build one. Uh, in the process of building one, we came up with some you know technically surprising steps, uh, which I think comes a bit from our desire to explore uh, technically. Uh, and a bit from my desire to make it work on my home network and in the New York Public Library, where I was doing a lot of the software development uh, uh, and just trying to uh, find ways to integrate it into our own uh, lives, because that's a really good way to write good software is if you actually use it yourself. I'm always trying to find a way to use my own software myself. So that's approximately how we came to be. It was very much we found the problem and then found the solution. I appreciate that um, a lot. I, throughout the years on this show, we talk sometimes about staying in problem space before rushing off to solution space, and the very and you highlight this when you talked about the the buzzword that is zero trust, right? Like we were we were as an industry hanging out in solution space with whatever zero trust was for a long time. Like NIST had defined these principles, but like all these products came along. They're like, where's zero trust? And I'm like, I don't know what problem you solved for me. Just like, I just, I'm not certain what problem you solved. Um, in that vein, zero trust. Here's another buzzword. Sassy, secure access service edge. Why is tail scale not that? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> the products I've seen in this space from a technical perspective, look very similar to Tailscale. Uh, I think, I, I think how you choose to use these terms when describing your product is very much about who you're talking to. Mm. Uh, should we be using that term? I think is uh, uh, an open question. We need to investigate. I think I you're there. That's a good answer for me because again, being intimately familiar with your product and platform and the larger industry, I look at it and I ask myself, why are you not that? I'm like, why are these guys that? And why are they not that? Like that doesn't make sense to me, but you, I think you, you, you may be touching on something. It might depend on who you are describing the problem and the solution to as to whether or not you would, you would reference it in that manner. Um, yeah, I don't, uh, uh, one of the surprising things about our product, because it has a few novel features to it, uh, is the challenge of uh, communicating it to people. Mm. So we often use the term VPN to describe Tailscale, uh, and it's it's genuinely a struggle using the term VPN because it undersells what Tailscale can do and surprises people. Uh, the The struggle is from a technical perspective. It is a VPN. Uh, it is a virtual private network, uh, and that that is the, the technology at the heart of it. Uh, but when you talk to people, you really have to be talking about you know, what problems do you solve for them. Uh, and it's a, it's a challenge using the language VPN because it's not fundamental to our product that we are an internet privacy proxy, which is the common consumer use of the term VPN. Indeed. Uh, you can use Tailscale for that, but it's definitely not out of the box what it's, uh, uh, what it's primarily trying to solve. Uh, similarly, uh, uh, most businesses have some sort of VPN product uh, and Tailscale can serve as a replacement for that. Uh, however, when businesses want to replace their VPN, they want features that they don't commonly associate with a VPN that Tailscale happens to implement, but mm -hmm. uh, VPNs don't traditionally. And so the the language we use around communicating all of this is very complex uh, mm -hmm. and is somewhat at odds with the underlying technology uh, that uh, we use to build the product. Uh, so interesting, you know, communication is a very interesting challenge. In that everyone thinks it's happened and it, it hasn't even begun. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, 
Yeah, that what you just described makes a hell of a lot of sense as you and I discuss it one on one on the show here. Um, because, like, I thought about, well, okay, why did you use it for yourself? And the answer was, well, to connect all of the people in my network, my my physical network, onto my network, whereby I already had a VPN that I was running on a VPS out of another right. country, and it did not serve that purpose, right? Like, it didn't do that thing for me. Um, coincidentally, it's built on. You know that thing uses something similar, but anyway, I'm I'm getting into the we're we're, we're cracking open cracking open all kinds of things. I'm geeking out because I've I've got unfettered access to David at this point, so I'm taking advantage of it. <laughs> yeah, happy to discuss anything you like. Yeah, so we can go in any direction. Uh, we have jumped right pretty deep into some of the mechanics of we how did. you how we you did. sell a product <laughs> and how you tell the world about it, which are honestly very challenging problems that I don't have answers to. Uh, we just uh, work on it a lot. Well, most uh, of our guests are are founders and startups as well in the security and privacy space, and I think you might find that challenge to be ubiquitous. Um, mm-hmm. I sit in I sit in a similar seat and find that challenge very very daily. So it's uh, it, I don't think it's lost on on, on most of us here. Mm-hmm. That's good. I mean, as long as we're talking about things you want to be talking about, that's, uh, <laughs> that's what uh, works for me. Well, I think we want to talk about some things you want to talk about too. But but Cameron, what would you like to talk about as well? Um, hey, how you guys doing? Hey, how's it going out there? <laughs> I was enjoying just listening. Um, so David, uh, I have a lot of questions. I, I always find it fascinating when someone, just a human being like you and I, we're all the same, um, gets the courage and finds a way to start their own product, our own company. Um, how do you feel now after working on this for so many years and <clears throat> finally having that, that product that you've, you know, kind of dreamed of uh, on the market. And like, how do how do you feel? How do you, how did you feel going through that? Was it, you know, did you deal with some challenges that were something that like, how did you overcome those challenges? Things like that. Like, I love hearing those kind of stories. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's been four and a half years. Uh, there's uh, a long road ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, uh, I can say in the last four and a half years, I felt just about every feeling, I think. Uh, there's been a moment where you, you, you experience uh, uh, at least most of the human condition in the process of building a company, uh, if not all of it. Uh, the, uh, the, there are a few sort of surprising things. Uh, the first is uh, uh, there's an expression that another parent told me once about parenting that I feel is very apt, uh, which is the... Uh, uh, the the days are long and the years are short, uh, in a sense. Mm. Uh, uh, and it, it it comes up in how you think of when you try to look back on how things you know were like you know, when we started the company. You know, if you told me that was twenty years ago, I could believe you. It feels like yeah. other things that happened in my life twenty years ago. If you told me it was you know four weeks ago. I could almost believe that too. Like this is the strange effect time has on you. Uh, where it's been forever and, and uh, yet barely anything has happened. Uh, and so I, I'm, uh, I'm a little sort of surprised by that uh, in much the way that, you know, uh, one day your kid is six years old. Uh, and it's like, how did that happen? Uh, there's, a, there's a little bit of that going on uh, uh, around the company uh, for yeah. me. Uh, the, the experience of building the company uh, just changes all the time. So uh, I remember... 
back when I joined Google many years ago, there was an event where Larry Page got up and spoke, I believe, uh, and said something like, every time the company has doubled in size, it's a new company, uh, which is a phrase that's stuck in the back of my head and I believe turns out to be basically true. Uh, so as, as the company has grown, we've just become a different company uh, because the company is fundamentally you know, the people who work on it. Uh, right. And as the set of people change, the company changes. Uh, and so the experience of building the company has changed as the company has changed. Uh, and if you compare where I am today, where primarily I am driven by my calendar, it's full. I, I look at it and I figure out what I'm doing next and what I have to think about next. Uh, and then I have a very long list of things I need to fit in around the few events, the few empty spaces on my calendar, uh, which is a real challenge. Uh, you compare that to the early days of Tailscale where didn't have a calendar. Uh, we didn't have scheduled meetings between uh, me and my co-founders. We would just, you know, have a text chat. We'd figure out when to get on a call next, uh, which was, you know, every few days. Uh, and the rest of the time it was, you know, sitting around, uh, reading, exploring, building some things, throwing them away. You know, that experience is radically different than uh, the experience I have today. Uh, and uh, uh, the process of getting from there to here has involved several intermediate steps where sometimes my calendar is full and sometimes it empties out as the, the company reorganizes and uh, I suddenly need to have fewer meetings. Uh, and then it fills up again. Uh, and so in, in a sense, you could almost measure my experience of the company in terms of uh, what my calendar looks like. Okay. There's a sign curve to it, as I understand, too, as, as you get. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's always a project to try. And uh, 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 my co-founder, David Carney, likes to talk about doing uh, retrospectives on your calendar where uh, every month you, you'd look, you take all the items on your calendar and you sort of you try to bucket them into things I absolutely had to do, things I need to do more of, and things I really should do less of. It's a very useful project because otherwise meetings just build up. Uh, and so you have to be sort of active and intentional about uh, recovering some of your time uh, yeah. because there's always something else to work on. Yeah, that's true. The, never the, tried the... No, go ahead. I was just going to follow up with uh, just one last thing on that topic is looking back on all of this and where you are today, uh, for all of our listeners that you know might be thinking about starting their own company or whatever, <clears throat> do you have any advice um, or anything that you would do differently um, throughout that time? Or do you think that it's all part of the process and that's how you learn and grow? Yeah, that's also a good question. I'm very reluctant to give advice for starting a company for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first is that there's no end of advice out there. You can mm. get advice telling you to do every single thing or the opposite of all of those things. Right. Uh, and I, I don't think me adding to that helps particularly. Uh, second reason is that I, I think I, I think thinking of all startups as categorically the same is, is incorrect. I think there are several legitimate ways to start companies that are well understood, that are all totally valid, uh, that require uh, acting and doing very different things. And I think trying to take the advice from one to another won't work. Uh, and so I, I think trying to generalize advice about starting startups isn't particularly useful either, <laughs> just because, you know, who, who's the audience? Uh, what sort of startup are they building? And yeah. most of them uh, fail. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, most startups fail. I think that's, that's, I think that's a generally true thing you can, uh, that uh, is, is safe to uh, keep in mind is that you're signing up for a low probability of success. Yeah. Uh, but I think every, I'd like to, I'd like to hope everyone knows that going in that I don't need to say that. Right. Uh, 
but I, you know, it's, I guess it's worth repeating. You're signing up for a low probability of success. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's still a rewarding process for me. Uh, I'm sure some people have terrible experiences. My experience has been good. Uh, if I were going to try and pick a single piece of all of the many pieces of startup advice out there that applies uh, most broadly, I think I would point to the, uh, a lot of people say, you know, find a co-founder. And I think there's, a, there's something to that. And maybe you don't always exactly need to find a co-founder, but I think you always need to be working with someone. Uh, from as from basically day one, uh, and my uh, my kind of mental model around that is if you start a company on your own, uh, and I tried to do some small business stuff on my own for a little while, so I, I have that as sort of a baseline uh, for uh, comparing, and that with some consultancy time earlier in my career. Uh, when you're uh, when you're working on your own and you you have an off day uh, and you can't really get anything done, uh, the company doesn't exist that day. Because the company is just you. And so if you're not working, the company isn't. Right. Uh, and, you know, hopefully the company exists again the next day when you're having a better day. Mm -hmm. uh, when you have a, a co-founder there with you, or at least someone you're working with in some form, and again, there's many different structures you can use to make this work. Uh, if you're having an off day, they probably aren't, because you're probably not exactly on the same schedule there. Uh, and uh, so the company is keep it, it's still going. Uh, that and you, uh, you provide a lot of uh, sort of mutual reinforcement. You, you, the, uh, the energy of the other person uh, sort of keeps you going. And so I, I think that's uh, that to me is, I think, uh, the, the, the one thing I would really suggest people strongly think about if they're starting a company. Uh, kind of like having a healthy relationship in life, just like you have your, your partner at home. You have to have that same kind of you feed off of each other the same way in a way and then you have a partner in business yeah <laughs> i've of. often heard the uh co-founders is like a marriage an uh, analogy yeah. uh yeah. i'm a little I, I try to avoid that because I, I think there's a lot of differences too and i don't think sure. uh, it's a, sure. <laughs> uh I, I think it's a it's an easy it's an easy analogy to run away with uh, yeah but it's definitely a very you know i think it's very uh complex and important uh to yeah. be working with someone and i i suppose this is a new thought, so let, let's see how it goes, thinking live on my feet. Uh, <laughs> fundamentally, a company is people, like I said earlier, and your goal when you're building a startup, you know, you're trying to build a product, you're trying to uh, find customers. Uh, but the, the, thing you're, the thing you build to do that is a, uh, is a company, is a collection of people. Uh, and so at some point, you're going to be working with people. Uh, it seems like a good idea to start that process as soon as possible uh, and yeah. work with someone. Good point. That might be the best advice I've heard on why you shouldn't be a solopreneur. I mean, other than the general, it just, it sounds crazy as hell, right? Like not having a support system whatsoever in a low probability endeavor sounds like climbing the face of a large rock with no ropes. And I know there are people that do it. There's like a dozen people on the planet that do that stuff. And it's fascinating to watch. And, and they're absolute maniacs, in my opinion. Yeah, there are exceptions to every rule. Though, so if you dig into some of these like more famous stories, uh, I think people consider Jeff Bezos a solo founder to some extent. Uh, but when you when you listen to his story, you know, he, he worked very closely with his wife on this. He had a he had a big support network. Uh, he, you know, every, every day there was someone he could talk to about it and work with. Right. Uh, and that's, that's what I mean by you don't necessarily need like the formal structure of a co-founder. 
Uh, but mm-hmm. it's just got to be someone there in your life, you know, with you as you do it. And uh, uh, that doesn't seem in any way avoidable to me. Someone to solder the uh, the lights on your sets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Someone, someone who's better at it than I am. There that's it is. <laughs> that's the answer. Well, Gabe, I know I had interrupted you before. I think you had another question. I don't even remember what I was going to ask, to be honest Oh, with my gosh. David, the show's not, David, the show's not scripted. I don't, I don't it's know if they were about that. They may have told you that. They may have, <clears throat> they may have glossed over that fact. Oh, they told me there was a script, but I wasn't allowed to see it. Ah, <laughs> so, no, they're not wrong. So. <laughs> they didn't lie to you. Yeah. I, I think the next series of questions that were in my head were were kind of back to the problems that you are currently solving for. Mm-hmm. But abstract that away a little bit for me. And, and what problems do you commonly run into? When you're working with customers, like what is the thing that does get them to go, ah, you know what? I need more than just a VPN and you are it. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of angles to that. Uh, again, because we have uh, a couple of different sized customers uh, who have different, uh, different needs. Uh, but the, a common, the uh, common thing we run into with sort of engineering orgs uh, is around they want to access uh, resources. Uh, they want people in their organization to be able to access resources. So uh, an easy version of that is they want to SSH into production. Uh, and along the way, they want a policy around how people can access those resources, who can, when they can do it, what conditions they can do it under. And these are relatively hard things to do if you glue together the sort of basic tools we have in our uh, uh, in our industry. Uh, and we do a lot of that gluing together work for people. So they have an identity provider. Everyone has at least one. They usually have more than one, uh, which is great, especially because it's called single sign-on. Uh, and yet there's, there's definitely more than one way to do it for just about <laughs> everyone. Uh, they've got SSH, they've got a cloud provider or two or three. Uh, they've got a lot of servers somewhere. They, they don't always know how many or where exactly, but they've got them. Uh, they, uh, they have some sort of policy around how to access these resources, and they have no way to put all of these pieces together. Uh, and this shows up in the uh, – and again, it's really clear when you're sort of building a company from scratch and you bring up your first VM that you're running your website on uh, because why not just run it on a VM that'll scale really well for a small company? Uh, you need two of you need to SSH in, so you grab each other's SSH public keys and you drop them in the authorized keys file uh, on the server, and that that works fine. You know that that's that's fine for two people. Uh, when you buy a new laptop, you've got to go and drop another SSH key in there, probably or something like that. Uh, you probably don't rotate them frequently or anything like that. Uh, uh, but there's only two of you; it's pretty easy to manage. When there's, when, keys, please. Yeah. <laughs> when, when there's uh, uh, half a dozen people at the company and you bring on a co-op student uh, for a term uh, and you add their SSH key uh, to the server, uh, you should remember to remove the SSH key when their term is up. Uh, you probably remember to uh, hit, the, uh, uh, hit the suspend button in Google Workspace because Google charge you. Uh, monthly fee for for not doing that. And again, you're a small company, so you know you're thinking about those six dollars a month. It's important stuff. Uh, but uh, uh, but the SSH key is very easy to forget, uh, and I have certainly forgotten one or two in my time. 
uh, and it would be awfully nice if uh, uh, if your Google Workspace managed those SSH keys for you. Um, and so we built that. You know, that's that's what the overlay network does. You don't get to SSH in uh, unless uh, their account is active in the IDP and is recently active. Uh, similarly, when did they last log in? When did they last prove they have their two-factor element with them? Uh, these are all policy questions you can set. And so that's the sort of thing that our business customers are very interested in. And uh, uh, spend a lot of time thinking about uh, the uh, there are extra benefits of our underlying technology of making direct connections too, where there are other products that can do this that you bring up in your AWS region next to your server. Uh, if you go and run some servers in another region, you now have sort of a cross-region dependency in your network where the, the device you use for accessing your production lives in one availability zone. Uh, and if that availability zone goes down, you can't access any of them because you've been relaying traffic through it for everything. Uh, this is the sort of uh, uh, the the sort of mess you run into with any sort of proxy services. And so, being able to avoid that, being able to avoid like extra infrastructure, I think is very helpful for people. Uh, so that's that's the sort of business side of our product. But there's a whole other side of this product, Gabe. You were talking about how you use Tailscale on your home network. I do. I don't think managing SSH keys is really like your number one mm-hmm. uh, concern when you use Tailscale, right? Yes and no. So it is because there are family members that need to make them into their, my ah. home, and I am not managing their keys. Right. <laughs> right. So the answer is yes. It, just the problem it presents itself differently. It is mm-hmm. I have users who have no understanding of how to manage the keys, and I have zero desire to manage it on their behalf. Right. That's uh, I'm uh, I'm in a similar position. I have family members who use various devices. I have who connect them. Uh, the uh, uh, I have a, a Linux workstation hiding in the closet, which is the powerful machine in the house. Uh, and when my wife needs to use MATLAB, she RDPs from her laptop into it uh, and runs MATLAB there. Uh, and that works great when her when she takes her laptop out of the house. Right, uh, and that is very much a thing that is not possible without a uh, uh, something like this. Uh, I I similarly have friends across the country who uh, use the same machine. Uh, these problems present very differently and it's very different talking about them even though the technology is the same. Like when I develop web servers locally uh, and then I try to access them on my phone and you know, I've been using them on my phone and I don't even realize you know, that we're not on the same Wi-Fi uh, but the connection you know, works anyway. Yeah. Uh, these are, th- this is uh, a VPN as a development product uh, and gen- generally developers don't think of themselves as needing a VPN. Uh, so we're back to the, sort of the communication problem of like, how do we talk about this product? Uh, but this is the sort of very wide range of uses uh, we see among our users. Uh, in a sense, it's easier with customers because we carefully define the customers we're going after and those problems we understand well. Uh, but with users, it's always a bit of a surprise to us. We, we learn new things all the time. That's the sort of networks people try to build. If it weren't for users. <laughs> Yeah, it's fun. It's great having it's, users. It's absolutely it's, it is it is fabulous having users. I love nothing more than when you get a user using your product for the first time. Or more importantly, you have a new product or even a new feature and you see it in the user's hands and you just sit in awe and go, Yeah. Not at all what I expected you to try and do with that. <laughs> yeah. It's uh I know it's a bit terrifying. Yeah. Use your product. It's, yeah. Uh, it's scary. But what does I heard it feel you like? You, is it oh, does it oh. does it feel like someone's trying on your clothes? Never go commando in another man's fatigues. That's what I always say. 
those are, those are rules to live by. <laughs> uh, the scary part for me is, is, is that going to work? I've never thought about that before. Is that, mm. is that a thing you can actually do? Uh, and then they do it and it works. I'm like, oh, phew. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. We're on to something so, here. Yeah. yeah. Got to work, but work <laughs> on that poker phase. But I've heard a couple of things though, as, as you know, problem space exists. You guys are solving for a lot of policy and orchestration challenges, right? Like short and long of it, right? Like it is like if I, even if I condense it down to my own home problem, there is there are policies, there are systems that I need them to be able to get to. But generally speaking, not everyone needs to get to any every and everything anyway, because I have my own stuff too. Um, plus, you know, having other people like just connected in other homes, like mom's got a nest system and all kinds of other right? like mm. there's all kinds of I mean, there's all kinds of other for myself, there's just like there's that kind of policy. And then there's the orchestration. Like I'm relatively busy and although I, I find some free time to, to build, you know, the home lab, running and maintaining that is not a thing I want to sign up for. Me too. Uh, I feel the same way about my local infrastructure. Uh, every now and again, something breaks. I'm like, oh, well, that's too bad. I guess I'll fix that one day. Uh, <laughs> or replace it. It's like this. Yeah. I've always meant to try blank. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, uh, one of the... Uh, one one of the big uses for me of Tailscale is just reaching my machines at home when I'm out and about from my laptop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in my career, you know, even before my career, when I was just playing around with computers, I would periodically set up some sort of dynamic DNS system to let me reach my machines at home on my ISP as the IP changes, but uh, the, the DNS name stays the same. Uh, I have set that up at least a dozen times, uh, maybe more, and every now and again it will break. Uh, and very much one of my personal goals with Tailscale was to build a version of it that won't break, that will keep working. Uh, and that's, uh, uh, that's important to me. Uh, and uh, that's, it's a very small problem, but it's the difference between do I use the thing or not use the thing? It's, mm-hmm. uh, does, it, does it fall over periodically and require some degree of uh, maintenance? Uh, which informed a lot of the design of the early product. So uh, a lot of what we do is around... Uh, you can consider our uh, coordination server effectively a public Dropbox uh, or a Dropbox for public keys for public private key infrastructure. Uh, and we focus on keys rather than certificate management uh, precisely because certificate management uh, certificates come with expiries. Uh, and one of my you know, common experiences uh, in software is uh, 365 days after I set something up, uh, it stops working. Uh, which is just long enough for me to completely forget. Forget about it. Yeah, and I forgot I had that infrastructure. I have no memory of how to configure it. I have to go read the documentation and learn it all again. Uh, it's not a. It's not a particularly fun experience. You I love it. We know he does. <laughs> I write notes to my future self. I have like a a file that I literally called like blockers and it just has like problems and we found solutions to them part of my fridge and I just keep a running list of that. <laughs> ah, I had that problem. Hmm. That's a really good idea. I should it's, do that. It's so. basically my own personal FAQ is really all that is. Nice. It's like I reference back to that. I'm like, what the hell did I do 366 days ago? I have no idea. That's a, uh, it's something I wish I'd picked up when, uh, doing science at university mm. uh, there was always these lab books these notebooks we were meant to keep and I, uh, I was never as good as it as i would like to have been and uh, in retrospect a lot of my life would be a lot easier if i was better at taking notes so, yeah. you sound like old me too which is uh i will i will give you some some hints there um write a note to yourself reminding yourself not to write any more notes to self <laughs> uh, it's very circular that's uh <laughs> we'll talk again in 365 yeah, days no. <laughs> we'll revisit so, that one 
So David, uh, in your opinion, I love to kind of ask this question in your, your realm that you're in, uh, what are, what are some upcoming trends or challenges or developments, uh, in privacy and security that, uh, that you kind of see or feel like might happen or you're preparing for, um, with your company and, um, scalability and things like that? Yeah. In privacy and security. Uh, okay. It's, and or just one of them, whatever you're more yeah. comfortable with. So I think we've always pushed pretty hard on uh, without really talking about it very much because it seems like the way software should be going and we wanted to be there rather than try to figure out how to get there later is the notion of end-to-end encrypting uh, everything for users. And this is a very, at this point, well-developed and sort of standard phenomenon among, for example, chat apps, which talk about this a lot. So Signal make a very big deal out of this, of course, but uh, major platforms like Apple's iMessage are end-to-end encrypted now, uh, which is great uh, and is how these things should work. There's no reason for a list of all of your uh, chat text messages to be sitting on a server somewhere. Like we can easily Mm. build our way around that. So that's a little bit surprising to me coming from, you know, when I started in computing, when encryption actually had a cost to it uh, and it was a, it was work and you had to choose a trade-off of like, am I going to encrypt this? You know, what, what what's the CPU overhead going to be out of problems? We wonderfully don't have to think about anymore. We get to just do it. Right. Uh, but that whole notion of end-to-end encryption feels to me like something that uh, there should be more of generally in how computing works. And the model of a lot of SaaS businesses today is incompatible with that. And this feels like a large structural industry issue that we need to figure out. It's, it's very easy to build a version of Tailscale, uh, some sort of overlay network across the planet where you connect to one of our local systems. We decrypt all your traffic, send it through our network and re-encrypt at the other end to connect to someone. That would be the obvious way to build our infrastructure. Uh, and we went out of our way to not do that. You know, there's no way we can decrypt your traffic. Uh, and that is an unusual property of our system that, that we built our network that way. Uh, and it was a bit of work. You know, it required a little bit of thinking. Uh, and especially when you throw things like tailnet lock on it, which help guarantee that we aren't even able to add a new node to your network that could uh, uh, have a conversation with you unless one of your existing nodes approves it. Like that sort of machinery, I think, is where I would like our industry to move in terms of security uh, and privacy, you know, give people more controls over that. And yet the other side of this is people really like the convenience of managed systems. That's why software as a service is so popular. You know, it's a, I don't like configuring my own dynamic DNS in my house because it's going to break. I, I want someone to handle that for me. And this feels like a, a combination of uh, uh, an industry opportunity and a genuine technical challenge. How do, we, how do we build more interesting software from a SaaS perspective that maintains this sort of end-to-end encryption property? Like how would I build a piece of spreadsheet software that lets you collaborate with other people on spreadsheets that stores it all in the cloud and like works through a browser and doesn't require you to install anything and yet I never get to see your spreadsheet. Like your, your, your tax information is safe because it's in your hands and not in mine. Uh, that's how I'd like SaaS software to work. And I think that's genuinely difficult, but also there are some ways in. And the fact that we can build an end-to-end encrypted overlay network, the fact that we can do it in a way where you even have control 
over the 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 set of machines in that network uh, in a way where we can't interfere with it. it gives me sort of hope that there's ways to do this more generally for SaaS software. Um, and I think what's missing here is uh, generalizing some of these principles uh, and building them out as a foundation that you can then build sort of standard software on top of. And so that's, you know, it, I'm, I'm deep out of startup land and deep into research space at this point uh, around how this should work. Uh, but I see the pieces of the puzzle and right. I, I really feel like we as an industry need to head in that direction. So that's, uh, that's the big one for me. That's good. There's James so much brains going. Yeah. I mean, there's so <laughs> much, there's, there's so much perverse incentive to not though. Right. Like mm -hmm. there's the, the monetary value of data isn't going to unprove itself at this point. I think that, that cat is so out of the box. It's um, yeah, absolutely. But do you want to pay for a photo storage service that guarantees that your photos are safe from that? How, how much extra would you pay for that? Would you pay 10% more? It's it's a great question. I know the answer from my personal self. It is mm -hmm. it is whatever it has cost me in time to build. <laughs> it's yeah. that combination of tail scale, own cloud, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah, the uh, that that is the challenge we need to get beyond the the fact that to achieve that level of privacy, you have to invest a lot of your time. People yeah. don't want to do that. No, uh, I, and I, I think that's very to. reasonable. We don't have time. We're all very busy. You know, it's yeah. uh, there's a lot to do. Uh, I pay but, for that. I pay solid cash for that. You're absolutely yeah. right. If I knew that I could use the spreadsheet in that manner on a SaaS and that you couldn't get to it, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, I, I think it's worth an extra 10% over the competing spreadsheet product that yeah. you know uses an ML model on your spreadsheet to day trade. Right. It's a. Uh, uh, I, I would. Uh, I do. Uh, that. I assume that's not a thing that actually happens. Uh, I was going to say, did, so is that a personal? Don't assume it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, uh I really, I have no interest in user data being anywhere near it is is my sort of view of the world like i want i want to make it easy for people to solve problems and an unfortunate side effect of the way we've built uh convenient software today is it gives a small number of people access to everyone's data and i would like to solve that problem i don't i don't want them to have that access uh, and I know a, a lot of people who run systems like that, and they don't want that access either. Uh, no. There definitely are businesses that make all their money out of it, but those are few and far between, and I don't think anyone from, has like a good, solid, principled reason for this. Good point. So, I'm inclined to agree with you. Certainly all the engineers I know are, are very happy not having that additional liability of, uh, of having your data. Yeah, it's just not pleasant. You know, it's not a, you, know, you don't wake up in the morning and say, wow, I really want some user data. That's, that's yeah. not a, or at least <laughs> a, no, no one I regularly interact with ever, has ever uh, expressed a, a desire like that to me before. It's because you don't hang out with marketers, which is good for you, David. It's good for you. That's why you haven't started using Sassy to describe Tailscale yet either. <laughs> <laughs> sassy might be a legitimate term, actually, for all I know. Uh, I haven't started using it because I don't understand it well enough yet. I it's legitimately a, had, have had the question, like, why Why aren't you? Like, I, don't, I, I can't tell the difference. And frankly, I think you have a better Sassy product than many Sassy products. But, you know, what do I know? Um, that's kind of you. Uh, I, I can't uh, confirm it because I, I haven't done the research. That's all. Uh, <laughs> I, I am going to check in with you. Know that, though. No, I'm going to ask you that question again somewhere in the future. Um, it's it's something I should definitely have an answer for. It's uh, it's very reasonable of you to, <laughs> to hold me to that. 
if I were a prospect of yours, I might ask you that. I might very intentionally ask you that. Like, so I hear you and I hear all the benefits of your policy and your orchestration and et cetera, et cetera. But why, but why don't I just go get blank? Mm-hmm. Right. Where fill in sassy name. And there's, there's some big companies out there that have kind of gravitated towards it because it became a popular term. And then there's some genuine startups that, you know, really hit, hit the ground. Um, I'm not going to throw names out there, but we've, we've had at least two sassy startups on the show in the past. Um, folks can go dig through the archives if they want to find them. Right. But the problems feel similar to me. I'm, I'm sure there is some overlap. Uh, there are also, there are also problems that seem really similar that genuinely deserve different products. We have a lot of people who people think we compete with, who we don't really see ourselves as competing with because Mm -hmm. it's a very large space. Uh, and that's why I'm, I'm reluctant to make generalizations here just because, uh, uh, it's entirely possible to me that there's products out there that call themselves sassy that we actually should do integrations with because you should be running Tailscale and that product. Uh, I and can that's see the, that. I can yeah. see that. I can absolutely see that. Yes. I can see where that would have benefits to to a to a certain problem set. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um so before we get on to our yeah. yeah, before we get on to the last round, uh, one of the questions we like to ask is is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to talk about that we didn't bring up about Tailscale or anything that you just wanted to bring to surface for the listeners? Oh, we talked about quite a lot. We really covered a lot yeah. of territory. Uh, I'm really interested in the idea of giving people a better network as a foundation for writing better software. And that is a that is a side of our product that... Uh, is also very difficult to talk about. Uh, to think about to think about uh, a network as effectively uh, a new library uh, that you can throw into your uh, into your software uh, and use it to make it easier to write software. Uh, and that's that's a thing that Tailscale actually is today that uh, hmm. I'm quite fond of uh, and that I uh, hope we can keep building on. Uh, we literally have a Go package TSNet that you can drop into a program. Uh, and then your program gets an IP address on your tailnet as if it's a, its own computer. Uh, and it doesn't require installing Tailscale on the machine or, or uh, being root on the machine or anything like that. Uh, and that program can run a web server that your other Tailscale nodes can access. Uh, or it could you know, go access a web server running on your tailnet. Uh, and that's a very fun way to write software, this idea that you can just throw Tailscale into it. Uh, uh, you could throw it into an iOS app, for example, and have your iOS app join the Tailnet without installing Tailscale on the phone. That um, is interesting. I didn't know you had that. I just yeah, took a note. I just took a note because now, now, now you've, thanks to you, I've lost part of my Friday afternoon, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, but also you're welcome. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, sort of, fair it's, enough. Uh, yeah, I'm not, not sure which side, uh, which side this is on, but uh, uh, I really like this because one of my personal frustrations as a programmer is uh, compared to when I started programming sometime in the early 90s uh, for fun, uh, everything about computers is so much better. Like they're thousands, tens of thousands of times faster. Uh, they're more capable in every way. Uh, they're wonderful machines. Uh, and most things about programming are better too, uh, but not everything. Uh, and that's a little unfortunate that we kind of went backwards a little bit. Uh, in some of our uh, in some of our sort of developer experience, and part of the way we went backwards is the original programming I was doing was on a network of computers that wasn't connected to the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the network was made up of a few people, all of whom 
I knew the names of and were near, physically nearby, and you could just go chat with them if something was up. Uh, and so if you built a little program that exposed itself on the network that did something, you never thought about usernames and passwords. You might think about usernames, maybe, but maybe not. Maybe you just hard code them in based on some IP of the machine they're on. Uh, and you wouldn't bother with passwords. Like, why would you? I mean, what, what, what are you protecting against? Uh, and that made a side of software really easy to do. Whereas today, if I try to build a little web page to share with some friends, with a little database behind it, uh, one of the problems I have to figure out is, okay, well, I've got to put some usernames and passwords on this, or maybe I'm going to have them sign in with an identity provider, in which case I'm going to drop an OAuth package in here. And if I put the passwords in, I'm not meant to put them in plain text in the database. I'm meant to, meant to bcrypt them uh, with a salt in there. I've got to get that right. Uh, and honestly, I spend more time doing that than I do building, building the little half-hour thing I was trying to build for them. Yeah. Yeah. And that feels really unfortunate to me. Uh, and so if you could just drop Tailscale in there and we made it super easy, and I think we've got a little bit of work to do to make it super easy, uh, you don't need those usernames and passwords. You just only share mm -hmm. it out on your tailnet, and that's your security system. Uh, and your identity system, and it ensures everything you need. And you can just you can ask TSNet for the name of the person. You don't even have to ask for usernames because it comes from their identity provider. And so that whole uh, side of treating the network as something we can change the nature of uh, in the way we write software and thus change the way we write software is really interesting to me because a whole category of software that used to be easy and is now yeah. a little bit harder becomes easy again. You, my brain sometimes thinks in these little like Russian nesting dolls. And there's a very hey. meta part of your conversation here where what you're describing itself requires a network effect. The network that you're describing requires a network effect for, for, for those others to derive the value from, which is why I like that you have this Go package. But it still requires that network effect of like Go becoming a language that more people use even mm -hmm. for that value that you're trying to get to to then be derived. It just networks all the way down. And that has gotten better either. <laughs> yeah. On the programming language one, we can we can do some things like we we have a little C library now, which does the same thing. Which you can drop into other programs. Uh, it's based on the Go package. It's, uh, it's sure. a C archive built around that. Yeah, yeah, it makes uh, sense. But uh, <laughs> uh, there's still dozens of language wrappers to build for that to make it easy to use from various languages. Yeah, uh, that's a lot of work that we can do. There are other network effects too that like you know for you to share this program with your friends uh, and use Tailscale as the uh, the fundamental. Uh, identity system for it, uh, they would have to install Tailscale. And so how do we make that easy and how do we make that a worthwhile thing for people to do? Uh, it's ongoing work for us. Mm. I love so, it. Yeah, networks Dave, all the way down. Networks all the way down. Networks all the way down. David, this was fascinating. Cam, go get him. All right. Deep, dark secrets. Yeah, thank you for this talk. This has been great. Um, now some fun questions, even though everything's been really fun. But now we're going to get really... Uh, I don't know, a little goofy here. Um, learn a little bit more about you. <clears throat> if you could only eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, only one thing? <laughs> one uh, cuisine, then. One, one meal. Oh. Let's do a meal. Oh, it would be something Mediterranean with some beans in it. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, okay. Okay. Rice and beans, always a good Done. comfort. And then some kind of meats. Mediterranean is a good choice. Um, something like lamb, beef, chicken. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. If, uh, if, if I get to include a meat, yeah, lamb, uh, something like that. Nice. Chicken, if it's good chicken. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. beef is good too. If it was the only meat left, you know, that might be a bit much. So uh, I don't eat it very often. It's really good though when I do. So, mm-hmm. um, okay. If, I, uh, you know, honestly though, you know, uh, I, I might even be willing to go vegetarian if it gave me a little bit more flexibility in, in what vegetables I get access to. You know, I'd be okay. up for some options here. Gabe's with you on that one. Look, as a died in the old vegan, I'm, I, you had me at beans. You had me at beans, brother. You had <laughs> beans me feel like the most important part. It's oh, like, yeah. Good fiber. I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Great fiber. Um, all right. If your life was a movie, David, what genre would it be? And who would play David? I don't think my life is interesting enough to be a movie, honestly. <laughs> but uh, uh, I've seen that movie, too. Yeah, that's, um, that's actually that's fair. That doesn't mean you can't make it a movie. Yeah, that's that's exactly. True. It's uh, <laughs> I feel like I feel like my life would be more like a very long TV series hmm. that uh just takes far too long with each episode. Uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, what genre would it be? Uh, I would uh, I would like it to be one of those uh, a movie that has a bit of a beat to it, just because. You know, I like to get stuff done, so maybe maybe something action ish. Uh, but uh, as someone, you know, I I don't know how to fit violence into my life, so it doesn't really work. But like that sort of speed from the movie, you know, it's like uh, yeah. some, something that really has a has a pulse, good a good pace to it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Fast and Furious action movie. Yeah, something you know. Uh, uh, that's right. Something something like around racing cars or something. That that, that would be like okay. a, a good kind of movie for me. Yeah. So. Without without the violence, I think so. That works. Who, what famous person would play you? Ooh, I'm not very good at actors and and knowing knowing the space, and so I'm I'm a little weak here. I might pick. I might pick some. Uh, I I might pick one of the characters who've played Doctor Who in recent years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a Scottish, a Scots person who, uh, who played Doctor Who recently. I feel like he, he sort of personality-wise captures something about me. Mm-hmm. There you go. So, mm-hmm. Sorry mm-hmm. for not knowing his name. Uh, it's uh, just a, I'm very weak on uh, I, uh, famous people's names. I don't know it. I, I was going to say, I, I, uh, did you guys ever see Galaxy Quest? Yes. Moons it's a very ago. long time ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Moons ago. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You you kind of remind me of <clears throat> the dark haired guys, the the actual alien guys that are good guys. Um I can't remember they because <laughs> they have the dark hair. Um they look a lot weirder though, because they're obviously being like I can't remember one of the names, but they're funny to me. Well, if they look a lot weirder, they must be capturing my insides then. So, <laughs> so maybe maybe that's a that's a good thing for like accuracy. There you go. Um is there a certain application that you use on a daily basis or weekly basis that you absolutely hate oh i mean all software (laughs) Uh, where to start oh which one do you uh, hate the most said like a true developer though i like that answer (laughs) yeah it's the the problem is it's always a it's always a love-hate relationship uh because it's you know if i use a piece of software it's vital and brilliant uh and yet frustrates me no end uh I guess it has to be the web browser. Uh, Facts. Just, just because, you know, I, you can't live without a web browser. 
Uh, yeah. It doesn't matter which web browser you pick. Uh, I'm going to feel it's exactly the, the same about all of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it frustrates me that we turned uh, a thing that I feel was good in its own right, which is the basic HTML renderer uh, of, again, the 1990s, and we turned it into an entire operating system. And that, that feels like a miss to me. Like, I really didn't need an operating system in my web browser. Yeah. I was going to ask you guys, I know we're a minute over here, but this kind of popped into my head and you worked at Google, but I was curious, um, have you seen the new, like the AI assistant from Google and email where you can actually, it can help you in replies and things like that. They have like a professional one. It's just like a, an assist. It's kind of interesting. I, I didn't, I don't know if you've ever seen that before, but. Um, I haven't seen the Google one. I have tried playing with ChatGPT and ask it to write me some emails. Uh, sure. so I've seen the notion of having a, uh, an LLM assist me doing that, uh, which is really sometimes, fun. Sometimes they use words that are just like, mm, humans don't usually use those words. Ah, yep, right. Which, which you can obviously switch them out, but it does give you a good baseline, which I like. It gives you kind of a, a good structure. Uh, but anyways, David, thank you so much for, for coming on. Thank you for what you do every day. Um, Love, yeah, I love the passion, and uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for having me. This was a ton of fun. I, I enjoy sort of conversations, and this uh, this worked really well. This is Cameron, great, Gabe. It was really nice meeting you both. As well, you Absolutely. a pleasure. We'll uh, we'll we'll extend an open invitation anytime you want to come back on the show. Um, three hundred sixty six days completely works for us. That'll give you enough time to completely forget about what we discussed there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That or anything, that's perfect. That's or a, anything sooner than that. Yeah. You are you are welcome. You are welcome. You can hold me to the note I did or didn't write. Uh, there it is. <laughs> if I can even remember the system I wrote it in and where to find it. That's so, generally the problem right there. Yeah. Most David. most people just stick it on their uh computer screen. Ah, sticky that's where right. I put my passwords though. Where am I? <laughs> I think there's something to be said for that. Very hard to hack a post it note. You're yeah, especially wrong. working from home. Now. You're wrong. You're not wrong right. at all for what it's worth. Very true. true. Well, Nice meeting you both. As uh, well you. Too. Thanks again, David. Cheers. Thank you, David. Hey, you guys made it all the way to the end. Thanks for listening. Again, if this is your first time, we really appreciate the support and everyone that's always been around since the beginning. We love you guys. Keep supporting Privacy, please. And we'll always have new content each and every week. Cameron Ivy, over and out.